How's it? How's it going there, Joker? Uh, going good. So, got a question for us this week? Because I am blank. This week I do. So, if you could have any, if you can learn under any Jedi Master, who would it be? You know I'm gonna go with Qui Gon. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I, I pretty much knew exactly when I when I thought of the question a couple weeks ago. I'm like, I already know his answer. Qui Gon would be my Jedi Master. I was like, not not the same sense as you. I, I as much as I would like to be Kenobi's uh, student, I would have to go with either Qui Gon or Quinlan Vos because Ooh. they're both very non rigid in the Jedi code and kind of they truly a more laid back and. They kind of believe in going with yeah. the force. <laughs> and not always agreeing with the council. <laughs> Which, fair. Yeah, and that, that would definitely be one of my choices. That's a good choice. And, uh, folks, uh, let us know on here which one you would go with or who you would go pick. So, that leads us into this week's character. So, before we get started, welcome to Are You a Fan by Moonbound Productions. If you like the episode, give us a like, share, heck, even follow us. Now, this week's, this week's episode is going to be on Qui-Gon Jinn. Heck yeah, great lead-in. <laughs> okay, so let's start out with uh, Qui-Gon was born in 80 BBY and died in 32 BBY. So, for anybody who either hasn't seen our Star Wars episodes yet or doesn't remember, the BBY is how many years before the Battle of Yavin in Episode 4? Yes. Which, eh, that's a good marker. It, it is. It's a great marker for the fans. It's weird in universe. Well, like, like we talked about before, is I doubt that's in universe. That is just a fan thing, so we know when in the movies everything kind of happens. Would it be a little weird if it was in universe? I mean, they wouldn't be able to use that in universe. Oh yeah, true. Okay, so let's get into it. Um, you want to start us off? So I can. So in his early life. Uh, Qui-Gon would, would be born on a, as a human male on the galactic capital of Coruscant, and being identified as a Force-sensitive, he would be taken for training to the Jedi uh, by the Jedi Order. He was assigned to the Helios Clan, where he learned lightsaber combat from Jedi Master Terrace Nube. So, from what I learned doing the research, because I, I didn't really know a whole lot about the whole Jedi initiates, but it sounds like they get put in these like little group classes almost. Hmm. To where they all learn from certain things from one master at the same time. I mean, that so, would seem like probably the most efficient way to do it. So uh, it's kind of like when you, with an episode two, when uh, Obi Wan goes to Yoda asking about the planet, and he's got that class. Yeah, so that, that's basically a clan. So it's oh. all students that all take classes together. I mean that that seems like it'd probably be the most efficient way to do it. Oh yeah, especially as many Jedi as they had at that time, right? Like and how damn. many people they kept bringing in to train? They were just snatching up children left and right. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so at 12 years old, Jin would be assigned as a Padawan to Jedi Master Dooku, from whom he learns the ways of the Force. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah which they, they do lead. They do allude to that in Episode Two. Yeah, I remember, I remember that they they've, which is an interesting. We got to do an episode on Dooku one of these. Oh heck yeah, and that, but it's just interesting to see that they that he was, um, Qui Gon's master actually. Right, and as one of 
yell at his students, and it just kind of goes down the line. Yeah, really. Uh, oh. Everybody's connected in these movies. Somehow. I was about to say they're all connected, really. Actually, yeah. Yep. So around 68 BBY, when he presented himself to his new master in Dooku's quarters, Dooku would observe that Jin would be frightened, or was frightened, and after a moment of silence and with pressure from Dooku, Jin would confess that he was. Which, you know, makes sense, oh. you're a kid. Yeah, I mean, that that's what threw me off, like, in the movies with uh, with Anakin when they're like, like, oh, you're afraid? And that, like, almost, like, like they were like, oh, you can't be afraid. It's like, he's a kid who just got taken away from his own planet. Right. And that, how have you guys not dealt with more scared children? Exactly. So, yeah, no, that's, that just kind of cracks me up. When asked why, after looking into himself through the fear, Jin answered that he was not afraid of Dooku, but of not becoming a Jedi, that he was afraid of failing and of not being worthy. Dooku then summarized it as Jin being afraid of himself, of a future not being the one he wanted. Jin confirmed it, fearing that Dooku would reject him for this coward cowardice. Dooku instead said that it was very wise, surprising Jin. Which, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. And that, like, uh, I almost feel like Dooku would have had a profound respect for the fact that he's not afraid. Yeah, not afraid of Dooku, not afraid of necessarily Task Am, but afraid of his own shortcomings. Yeah. Which is ultimately, we yeah. are our biggest enemies. So. But also that even he would admit to being afraid. Oh, that too. Because, you know, especially as a male kid, especially in our society, like, that's just something you're taught not to show. So, if, so it, it's cool that they do show that he he was that weak or that vulnerable child that was like, no, I am afraid, but I'm afraid of not living up to what I could be or what or like what you would want me to be. Which which you know I guess just juxtapose uh, is very actually brave. Oh yeah, to do so yeah no kudos. And so smiling, Dooku would explain that most Padawans would deny their fear. And even if they admitted it, they would not have Jin's self-knowledge. Dooku would then further praise Jin for his honesty, insight, and intelligence. Bam. Especially the, the honesty. is like being honest enough to admit that you're afraid and what you're afraid of is a huge first step. Oh, especially for a kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, like you said in that. Well, we've even seen some of the shows and some of the Star Wars things with some of the young young Padawan type characters. And then like, I'm not afraid when clearly it's like, right. Shaking at the knees. <laughs> right. It's like, you can admit you're afraid, man. Like, okay. So, uh, on a, on a tour of the Jedi temple, their last stop would be the Jedi archives where they examined holocrons of various eras, not to study them, but simply for Jin to learn his, his way around. We're just smart. I give him, you know, Especially in these big temples. It's probably good to have the kid, you know... Know where everything is. Yeah, so they don't just... Like, I could see somebody starving to death or dying of dehydration oh. with how big these temples are. Oh, God, yeah. Especially the one in Coruscant. Like, that thing was massive. Oh, yeah. Just just somebody's wandering the halls and they just come across a corpse. It's like, ah, lost yeah. another one who got lost. Right? So it's, yeah, it's definitely good to show them where everything is. <laughs> so while here in ancient Holocron more ancient and different in shape than the, than the rest, would catch Jin's eye. When he questioned his master about it, he was shocked by the expression of Dooku's face, almost as if he considered it an enemy. Dooku would answer that it was a holocron of Jedi prophecies. Ah, uh, yep. So, yeah, Qui-Gon and his whole prophecy thing very much got from his master 
as we kind of learn a little bit here in a second. Mm-hmm. But he got it started at a very early age. Sounds like it. And honestly, man, prophecies in, in any genre, in any medium, and that prophecies are always a weird thing to deal with. Oh, yeah. And the Jedi, like even in Star Wars, it's always been a big thing of like, you can't, you can't analyze it too much. Yep. And that you can't full-blown believe it's 100% accurate. Well, that and then a lot of it's up to the interpretation of the reader. Exactly. That's a probably, arguably, that's always the biggest one. Exactly. That. So, um... So Jin Jin asked if there are Jedi prophets, to which Dooku replied, not any longer. He explained to Jin that mystics sought undue knowledge of the future, which led them down dangerous paths. The dark side often tempted those drawn uh, drawn too deeply into them. Dooku then finished by saying that that is why the Jedi study prophecy no longer. Then turned to leave, which meant Jin had to follow. Which I, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Oh, yeah, especially with some of the prophecies that you can read or some of the things that you can find with the holocrons can very easily tempt you into the, the power of the dark side. Oh, yeah, especially basically, yeah, being pre-cognitive. Yep, which and is I, not a good thing just because a lot of Jedi have that ability to be that precognitive. It's like... That can lead to a lot of dangerous situations. I mean, especially because even in Star Wars, it's fairly uh, the whole concept of being able to see in the future or anything that it's all it's very loose. Oh, yeah. Like uh, half the time in that when they fear something's going to happen, they do stuff. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're the reason even starts to occur. Yeah, look at Anakin. Right? The biggest <laughs> example that a dozen movies, almost a dozen movies were made on. Yep. And all because he had visions of his wife. Yeah. Kind of dropped the ball on that one, Annie. Yep. <laughs> so then, uh, Jen would then ask Dooku if he was just wanting, if just wanting to know the future can lead to the dark side. Dooku would reply that it takes much more than that. Uh, this would be Qui-Gon's first encounter with the holocron of prophecies, but definitely would not be his last. Ooh, foreshadowing. <laughs> foreshadowing is foreshadowing. Okay, so, oh, man. I mean, I can see how, you, yeah, just wanting to have an idea of the future would not lead to the dark side. It's the corruption, I see. Yep. And that, which, yeah, knowing the future could easily corrupt. Exactly. So after four months as a Padawan, the council sent him with his master to Shurapak. Am I pronouncing that right? No idea. We're going with Shurapak. Uh, to participate in a battle on its surface, which was Qui-Gon's very first. Here he would meet another former Padawan of Dooku's, Rail Averos. Qui-Gon felt as though Rail Averos would be the link between the Padawan he was and the knight he desperately wished to be. He viewed his journey to be easier now that he had a friend to show him the path. Because We do kind of skip over because there wasn't a whole lot that really happened in the battle that was really noteworthy more of just that he found essentially he found a friend and someone he could confide in that could help that he thought could help lead him to being who he wanted to be and fair and uh honestly it's kind of that's kind of a huge thing uh because i feel like jedi uh, the jedi need their confidants oh yeah they need their friends and that it's a very helpful thing that helps a lot of Jedi, despite what the council keeps throwing out there. <laughs> well, there's nothing against having friends. True. true. But it's just the, the whole concept of you need friends to be able to essentially survive. Yeah. Because you need people to be able to talk to and uh, 
to connect with and so he found one in one of his master's former students yeah, which kind of makes sense uh sometimes uh Okay, sometime after the battle, Qui-Gon was doing homework in Dooku's quarters while his master was in conference. He then had a surprise visit from Ra- uh, from Rail, Avaros, who greeted Jin warmly. Qui-Gon greeted him with a similar warmth. That sounds like a blossoming friendship. Yep. And yeah, that was that was something that Dooku would kind of let Qui- uh, Qui-Gon do is do do work in his quarters so that way you know he could be free of distractions and not being disturbed by other kids and other jedi and fair that i mean that would be the way to do it especially if you're out at you know taking jedi meetings yeah and stuff like if and you're that. with a council or you know doing something else like it's a great place for him to be exactly just empty quarters nice and quiet yep. so after some catching up they would go into the jedi archives and together they studied the one and only holocron that ever interested jen the one that held the ancient prophecies. Yeah, he, he definitely had a lot of issues of listening. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not just that, but just being, I feel like, as a kid, too curious for his own good. Mm, yep. Curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought him back. So they were they were all fascinated, uh, fascinating to him. Qui-Gon kept reading, unable to stop. He asked Rail if the ancient mystics had these visions in trances, to which he confirmed. After contemplating these prophecies, Jin remarked that Dooku said he should ignore the holocron and that he doesn't believe in the prophecies. Which is a little weird when you find out certain things about um, about Dooku. I think if when we do an episode on Dooku, it'll explain a little bit more. Probably uh, what exactly turned him, quote unquote, away from prophecies? And I imagine it would, uh, but clearly Qui Gon's not getting that same sour taste. Oh yeah, no. But so that statement uh, would confuse Rail, since Dooku was the one who introduced him uh, to it, and that and that it used to be the one that could could hardly pry the holocron out of his quarters. And Qui Gon would say that he didn't know when or why that changed, and that Dooku didn't explain. So clearly there's something there. Yeah. Clearly there is. There's something in one of those, I think, that Dooku read that made, or something happened to similar to one that went in a bad way. The Dooku's like, no, we're not going to do that anymore. Which, yeah, sometimes it only takes one bad incident with stuff like that to be like, you know what? I was doing better right. without it. It's like better if we don't know this stuff or even think about this in the, the mindset. Fair. Meanwhile, Qui- meanwhile, Qui-Gon Jinn's like, I am going to let this guide my very existence. <laughs> he kind of did. Yeah, because yeah, the whole prophecy of the Chosen One. Yep. That, okay, so tra- uh, tracking Shenda Maul. Jin and his Jedi Master Dooku became part of the Numidian Prime Strike Team. They were assembled to track and find notorious felon bounty hunter Shenda Maul. They eventually tracked her at her hideout on the planet Numidian Prime. <laughs> Numidian Prime. <laughs> Autobots, roll out. <laughs> Sorry, that's really what went through my mind. That's kind of cool. Uh, I always forget that... Even though the Jedi technically before the Clone Wars they were not they're not soldiers, you but know, they're basically pal they're basically like the, they, they the were Knights Templar. Kind of, yeah, which 
that's not what they were supposed to be. Yeah. As you see, especially if you look into the ancient or like the old Republic, they're even though they were still a little too heavily invested in the government and connected, they, they became much more where it was almost like when the Republic was like, Hey, we have this really difficult thing. We need you guys to go deal with because you're better at this. Yeah. And I, I, it's one of those, I always forget that even before the clone wars, they did have like basically strike teams and hunt like, yeah, like straight up go out, like go out, capture. If you can't capture, merc this guy. I was like, well, I don't think this was actually their strike team. That they were a part of a strike team that yeah. was already involved. Okay, that's so not. So it was just the two Jedi apart, like basically being attached to it. Oh, okay. So that... it's kind of like, okay, this is this planet's our own strike team, but now we're sending the Republic dignitaries to to help, kind of back them up. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So while searching for her hideout, Maul captured Jen. Before Maul could kill Jen, uh, Dooku would strike her down with Force Lightning to save his apprentice, causing Jen a degree of concern. I feel like you have, should have a lot more than just a degree of concern. Because <laughs> if a Jedi is openly using lightning... It's <laughs> it's rarely ever been a not... It's, ever, it's rarely ever not led to a bad thing. Oh yeah, there's only one Jedi that's ever been allowed to use a form of lightning because it didn't rely on the dark side. Yeah, I think you were telling me about that one it day. It was uh, Plo Koon. Yeah. But yeah, like... And we know Dooku is very talented with Force Lightning, but we know his is not one that does not use the dark side. Oh, yep. So Jin later confided uh, uh, confided what Dooku did to Rail Averos, though at the time Averos expressed that he was not all too concerned regarding his former master's conduct. At some point in his life after the mission, Jin went through trials on Felucia. Felicia. Felucia. Felucia. There we go. Thank you. And although his commitment was tested, he ultimately stayed loyal to the Jedi Order. Which, you know, because, uh, uh, yeah, isn't that kind of the whole like point of becoming like a knight or a master? Yeah, so that's how you become a knight is you go through. I don't know exactly what the trials are because I know they can vary person to person. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you have to go through a series of trials to be, go from being just a Padawan, an apprentice, to being an actual full-fledged knight. Except for as we talk with a little bit in Obi-Wan's episode, the, um, or will be talking, the Clone Wars kind of altered that a little bit. Which makes sense, <laughs> given the circumstances. Yep. So at some point during his apprenticeship, Jen would meet the Wookiee, I'm going to go with Brennan, uh, and befriended her. They would share many adventures together, with Brennan saving Jen on two occasions. During the second of those adventures, uh, events transpired that resulted in Jen feeling as though he had sa- they had saved each other. He also came to know the Wookiee Balfus. And I mean, it's kind of cool to know that he became friends with, with some Wookiees. Yeah, that's actually kind of awesome. I had no guarantee idea. Guarantee they both outlived him. Yep. <laughs> and seeing as basically Han was Chewie's pet. Yeah. With, Wo- with the lifespan differences. I mean, <laughs> dude, Wookiees live for freaking ever, man. Oh, God, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's, uh, it's kind of cool, though, to know he had, he had like, uh, camaraderie with them. Right. Because yeah, I feel like the Wookiees aren't the easiest ones to build a camaraderie with. Yeah, no. Like if, from from what we kind of see of the Wookiees, a lot of it seems to be like you have to have some form of 
mutual respect for each other. Yeah. And I've had to show them something to a value for them to respect you. They kind of remind me of, of like orcs in D and D. Yeah. In that regard. Okay. So mission to Pijal. We're going to go with cool. In 40 BBY, Jin and Kenobi undertook a mission to Teth and thwart Wanbo, the hut. The two Jedi escaped Teth, but not without complications, including a key miscommunication between Master and Apprentice. So, obviously, as we are now talking about them being Master and Apprentice, we go over more of that detail in the Kenobi episode in a couple of weeks. Which, fair. Because obviously sense. being more of his episode and learning what happened, we're just kind of skipping that at the moment. Fair enough. So, uh, you hear that, folks? Uh, tune in next week. Two weeks. Do tune in the next two weeks, and we will have answers for you. So, upon returning to Coruscant, the Jedi High Council would extend to Jin an invitation to join their ranks, as another master was getting ready to step down by the month's end. Jin would be shocked by the to be asked due to his disagreements with the council on various occasions. <laughs> From what I remember uh, looking at in the past, is I think they extended it a couple of times to him. Because they wanted somebody with that different, slightly different mindset than just what they had on the council. Which, I mean, makes sense, because it's always the old uh, old term of, like, if if nine out of ten people all agree with, with each other, and that is the tenth person's job to disagree and bring up, uh, bring up possible issues. Pretty much, yeah. And that's, uh, that's kind of what they wanted Jin for, was to be that extra person, be like, to question what's going on. Which makes sense, and honestly, he is the guy for that, because he, oh, yeah. he constantly, man, he, he don't give no, he don't care nothing for the council. Not at all. <laughs> so while he was initially pleased to hear the offer, he thought of his Padawan, who he would have to pass on to a new master if he were to accept. While it would solve the growing problem between them, Jin felt guilt at the thought of it, and thus told the council that he would meditate on their propo- uh, proposition. Which, hmm. Which is good that it shows that even though they had issues... He didn't really like the idea that he was like, I guess I could take this and just dump you onto another master. It, does, it, did, it did show some kind of character for him. Yeah, it, show, it shows his level of at least, you know, like, yeah, commitment and like, like, um, commitment to duty. Right. So, meanwhile, a political dispute would erupt on the inner rim planet of Pajal again, uh, a group known as the Opposition that began playing political pranks to protest a treaty signing. Um, that would end the absolute monarchy on Pajal. Although the world, uh, allow the world to join the Republic and give more power to corporation, uh, was thought to be making increasingly violent attacks nearing the treaty signing. Jen's old friend, Rail Everos, uh, would request Jen and his Padawan's assistance to end the dispute and ensure signing of the treaty. So they say, like, like political pranks. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, like a terrorist bombing goes off, and they're like, ha ha, got you. <laughs> right. No, I feel like it was similar to the like the meme culture of our world, uh, where it was like them doing jokes or graffiti, like nothing actually dangerous. bad. Okay, just, or like throwing up propaganda posters. Of, yeah. And that, like, okay. Stuff, I, I feel like that's what it started as. <laughs> but it's 
Amazing how quickly that can escalate sometimes. Right. It's like, guys, I got a great prank. No, put the nerve gas away. <laughs> as long as you don't accidentally blow up a school bus full of kids. <laughs> yep. I mean, that's a great way to get it. Apparently, to get a terrorist organization to stop being terrorists. True. Very true. <laughs> okay, so the council sent Jin and his Padawan to Pijal to help. However, as the mission began, Kenobi became aware of the offer presented to Jin regarding the Jedi Council. When the two met with Supreme Chancellor Karamus Kaj, Kaj uh, Jin felt great shame at not being the first to tell his Padawan learn, uh, learner. Before they left, Jin sought out Kenobi and the Padawan's dojo. There's a Padawan's dojo? That's cool. That makes sense. <laughs> they, they gotta have a place to learn how to do their fighting. There's no mercy in this dojo. <laughs> Silence! <laughs> have you seen the Jedi? Yeah. That's about accurate. Right? <laughs> oh, God, I love that. I love that that's a thing. Right. But kind of like going back to the where he had to stop and think about what that would do with him and his Padawan. It's kind of nice, again, still seeing a little bit of that humanity of like, he is ashamed that he wasn't the one to bring it up to him. And the kid found out essentially through a third party that it, well, and yeah, no, cause that's got, that's all that's, it's always rough to find out through a third party. Oh yeah. And especially when you're already clearly having issues with your master already, like mentality wise. Yeah. That's uh that's going to create some cracks and some chasms that, that's already there. So it's just kind of making them a little bit bigger. Yeah. So, well, let's see how it goes. So, uh, Jin would attempt to apologize for not being the first to tell Kenobi the news and said that he had had several reservations that he had to dwell on before committing to the position. But uh, Kenobi would make a sarcastic reply. <laughs> so, you know, apparently the Master Sass started early. <laughs> Dang, yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, I don't remember, I don't think it actually said what the Sass was either. Aw. I want to know, I want to know his, uh... <laughs> right, his snappy comeback? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Jin told his Padawan that he would continue to discuss the matter when Kenobi was in a more rational mood. And when Kenobi quipped again, God dang it, man, just zing, uh, Jin sadly said that he supposed that the Force always allows things to turn out for the best. As they traveled to Pijal, the tension between them grew. Which makes sense. It may, yeah, it, it does. And that uh, honestly, though, you gotta kind of admit, Qui Gon was probably the best suited for dealing with Kenobi, in the sense that Qui Gon is more laid back. Right. Any Jedi Master in that, could you imagine Kenobi sassing is how that was gonna turn out? Most of the well-known ones would not have turned out good. Yeah, I just imagine Kenobi constantly just having red marks on his face. Right, just, just from all the back smacks. Yeah, just all the backhands. Just like he has a bald spot on the back of his head from the constant just getting slapped upside the head. Yep. Oh, God, yes. That's, that's my new headcanon. <laughs> so Jen and Kenobi would both, uh, were both briefed on the situation. Learning that Avra served the crown princess, uh, Fannery, that's what I'm going to go with, um, as an advisor and that he needed to protect her from the opposition as she waited to take Pajal's throne. A lot of political intrigue. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's one of those, like, you hear stuff like this, and I always just think, I'm like, you know, we could just expand so much into the Star Wars universe as far as movies and shows that have really nothing to do with the main movies that are going on. Oh, yeah. 
And I like I would love because I heard rumor that they're considering a horror film based in the Star Wars universe. Didn't hear about that. And I was like, yeah, it was gonna be on t- uh, the Ice Planet with the, okay with the um the Wampas the Wampas. <laughs> okay, Jin and Avros became uh, reacquainted quickly, although Jin was skeptical skeptical of uh, several of Avros's choices during his service, as Avros also loosely interpreted the Jedi Code. As he and Kenobi began to do more investigating on Pajal's moon, they encountered two jewel thieves, Pax Merifer and uh, Rar Wick. <laughs> Rar. Tell me I'm not pronouncing that right. <laughs> well, you're probably not. Probably not, but like, come on. <laughs> but seeing as the majority of Star Wars names of things are in books, who knows what the actual pronunciation is? Very true. So, folks. Um, how I feel when we do our our magic episodes. Like yeah. I don't know what it is. I'm going off of what I've heard in the community. It's literally why I'm going to do the magic ones. I just make fun of every name. Yep. So Rahaha Wick. Uh, that had to be just bad timing for Jewel Thieves. Oh God, yeah. Like they clearly did not plan on Jedi being around, except for the one advisor. Yeah. Just like they get there and they're just like, this is the perfect crime. More Jedi show up and they're like. This is getting out of hand. Now there are three of them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, yes. (laughs) So although Pax was very abrasive towards Jin, uh, Wick was more cooperative Uh, on board their ship, the Merricks. Jin recruited the two to help them find the terrorists that posed a threat to the treaty. Which got an interesting way for a jewel thief to end up working with the Jedi. I mean, you know, what better way to catch uh, criminals than bring on a criminal? Oh, yeah. I just think it's kind of funny. that the. I feel like that's exactly what happens. Like, they were about to get caught in what they were doing. They're like, no, we're going to change plans. We're not going to get in trouble for this. We're going to say we came to help. Right? Like, let's just detour back around this later. (laughs) Which, I mean, that's a brilliant way to keep going with things. So, shortly after returning, Jin received a vision of the event, which turned into a bloody battle. He brought it to Avaros's attention, but the old older Jedi did not share his level of concern. Because why would he? I mean, you know, his he probably has a similar opinion as Dooku on prophecies. Yep. He's also older and been at longer, so why would he listen to the new well, guy? But we've also seen, as Jin kind of doesn't like how he interprets the code, that he probably has a much different mindset and probably has other things at play. True. True. He probably also, yeah, he probably, they probably have a lot of differing opinions on how yep. the force works. So shortly, or as their investigation continued, Jin would meet with the opposition's leader, uh, Holland Azuka, and learn that the group was being framed. Although they had peacefully made demonstrations against the treaty, the violent terrorist acts that had alerted the Republic were not caused by Azuka's people. Because, you know, what better way to frame, or what better way to get away with stuff than to frame the group opposing you? Actually, yeah, no, that's kind of, that's kind of a, uh, what is it called in that, um, when you're, that's discrediting 101. Exactly. It's a great way to do it. So, as Qui-Gon learned of the complications surrounding the treaty due to the lack of Pijali representation and the heavy influence gained by the uh, Cesar, Cesar, 
Zerka. Zerka. Zerka Corporation. He decided to oppose the treaty himself and refused to act as a republic representative. Which is kind of cool that he would go and make that decision on his own. Yeah. Like, well, clearly this is not actually in the interest of anybody except for a corporation. Which, I mean, it, it shows real resolve. Oh, yeah. Especially because, like... I remember in the Clone Wars and stuff, everybody complained about how the Jedi became basically the military of the of the Republic Council, and that's like looking at this, it's like eh, it looks like they kind of already were like the enforcers. Oh yeah, they, they've always have been, but it was more of as we talked with the Palpatine episodes, it was portrayed with that essentially they were warmongers, so Palpatine was changing things to make people against the Jedi. Yeah, but they've always been a enforcer. But you also got to remember most of the galaxy didn't even know didn't know the jedi actually existed it was such a vast galaxy a lot of them thought they were just kind of rumors and myths oh dang yeah you you can easily go if you're in the right part of the galaxy you'd never meet one ever all you'd see maybe are the hollows dang i actually didn't know that yeah wow okay so uh so, however, eventually, the Jedi would discover that Fanry was deceiving them and had been building a military group called the Black Guards, framing the opposition to restore the full monarchy. Because, as we said, you know, what better way to get oppose your opponents than to make them look bad yeah. by framing them? It wor- I mean, it's a, su- it's a proven tactic in politics. Yep. It works time and time again. But, dang, man, they are going, they're going for that war. Okay, so at the coronation, she rejected the treaty as well as uh, the Republic's influence, proving herself to have having been underestimated by the Jedi. Fair. I mean, dang, man. Stand your ground. Yep. And unfortunately, it sounds like she probably did it very sneakily and played a certain personality role to show that you know maybe she isn't this kind of person. Which smart, you know, kind of, kind of that whole like switcheroo and personality. Where yep. Q, Q, intense music. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, ready to remove the Zerka influence from the system by force, she prepared to attack their ships. Jin attempted to convince her to stop and prevent the innocent casualties that were the Zerka slaves on board the ships. But when she refused, Jin would take matters in his own hands, and with the help of Kenobi as well as their two new friends, they would succeed in saving the slaves. Woo. I mean, you know, he he was acting like a Jedi should. He he went for the betterment of the people of the planet by opposing the treaty, and then even though, and like and he he inserted himself into this to save innocent lives, which that's what a Jedi should do. Yeah, that's a, that's good to know. That's good to know about uh, Qui Gon. Yep. So after the mission, Jin decided to stick with training Kenobi and declined the offer to join the Jedi Council. Once again. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to say that was, I think, the first time he'd actually gotten the offer and refused. But, yeah, he, he had a lot of those uh, good, I guess, good decisions. I mean... Honestly, if he didn't stick with training Kenobi... I don't think he would have turned out the way he did. No, I I don't think he would have at all. Uh, just knowing Kenobi and knowing what I know of him in his history. Not yeah. At not at all. So, as a huge Kenobi fan, I'm very happy Jen did decline the council's offer. Same, same. As a, <laughs> as a, as a Qui-Gon and, a, and an Obi-Wan fan, I'm glad. I know. 
I also feel like the movie would be very different if Qui-Gon took the offer. True. <laughs> Maybe things wouldn't have gone so south. Right. Okay, so is this you or me now? This is me. So discovering the secrets of life after death. During uh, sometime during his life, Jin would uh, begin discovering the secrets of to manifesting his consciousness after death. Ooh, yeah, he was kind of the like it's always kind of been there, but it's always usually something that was uh, learned by the dark side users as they one of the things they sought sought immortality to have that power. Yeah, so it wasn't which common for the Jedi. Which uh, I don't know how far you go into talking about his thing going into that because like. Cause that's one thing that I noticed with the difference between the four, the way the Jedi went about it and the way the um, Sith went about it. The Sith were obsessed with the material, with the physical realm. Yeah. And the Jedi accepted that that's not going to last. So why not just be ethereal and be one with the force, but maintain the consciousness. I mean, that was just happened to be how they learned how to. Yeah. But um, I feel that because Jedi in the past and the ancient times did learn how to physically do it. Oh, like no, the the whole ethereal thing is just happens to be how Qui Gon learned how to stay al- I, or manifest. Okay, I actually didn't know that. I do yep. feel as though it would lead to less corrupted Jedi, though. In theory. In theory. <laughs> in theory. Yeah, that. Okay, so he traveled to the plan uh, to a planet strong with the Force, a world that legend said was the birthplace of life and the origin of Metaclorians. He learned from five force uh, priestesses who had retained their consciousness after death. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so anybody who has watched the Clone Wars cartoon uh, know of who these priestesses are because it's who Yoda learned from, or kind of learned about stuff from because of Qui-Gon. Yeah, I remember them. They were interesting. (laughs) Yeah, so it was basically like five force priestesses that, that embodied or quote-unquote, embodied um, different kind of personality traits from their faces. Yeah. It's kind of like the seven dwarves. Yeah, kind of like all the different personalities and emotions attached. Yep. So he he had learned that when a living thing died, its life passed through the living force and into the cosmic force to become one with the force. Which makes sense because, you know, obviously you got your living stuff and your not living stuff. And it's all just one thing connected is just different sides of the force. And which is something that I, I don't know. I've always loved the concept of the force and how that all works. Like it's all connected. The force ultimately, it's all the will of the force. Yep. If the force wants it to happen, it's going to happen. Exactly. And, and that's definitely the mindset that Qui-Gon kind of had, which is, I mean, the true mindset of how I to follow the force. Right. So, as the as the living force and cosmic force existed in uh, tandem, it became possible for one to retain consciousness and physical manif- uh, physically manifest themselves after death. Jin was considered worthy of knowledge of eternal life and secretly began his training to unlock his mysterious uh, the mysteries fully. Which I mean, after you discover that that's even a thing, yeah. Oh yeah. Like. Yeah, and knowing that's definitely not something that the current generation of Jedi would approve of, because it was that same concept of that's something that the Sith do. True. So of course you gotta go about it secretly. Oh yeah, because uh, like I mean, as we've seen, the Jedi Council have a very weird, strict mindset, and this well, is that very as uh, Palpatine puts it in Episode Three is very dogmatic and it's very narrow. Yeah. Like, 
which unfortunately is just how it evolved over the thousands of years. I mean, any religion, any type of like, like archy anarchy or, or hierarchy of any sort eventually will become corrupt and lose the original meaning. Oh, of what yeah. it should be. Especially when you have a leader like Yoda who lives for hundreds of years and has been on the council for hundreds of years. Yeah. It's gonna make stuff get stale. Oh yeah. So he also learned from a shaman of the wills that achieving eternal consciousness would require absolute selflessness, which makes sense. That's the best way for them to learn it the Jedi way. Yeah. Than the way that the Sith would learn how to do it is you, you do. You have to embody what a Jedi is supposed to be. True. Which I feel like that's why, like, with this very specific path to maintain the immortality, yeah. it is the only one where, like, there is almost could be no corruption because you have to let that go. Exactly. And that, like, a, a Sith would never be able to go through this path. Oh, God, no. Well, technically they could because Anakin does. But uh, because he kind of, he lets, well, he... He's not necessarily selfless because he does it to help his son. It, it kind of becomes selfless because he's doing it to protect his son and he's willing to give his life to do it. Which, yeah, that one, we got So it's definitely one it's extremely difficult for a Sith to do. But not impossible. Yeah, as the, we the see Sith, at least one does it. So the Sith would have to let go of the Sith rule, like the Sith way to do it. Pretty much. Basically. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Question, uh, questioning his purpose. After a mission between 44 and 32 BBY that brought great unrest in Jin being called a warrior, he would speak with Yoda, who sensed the turmoil in Jin. So, yeah, I, I kind of took out the story because it was a very long one. But essentially, throughout this, this uh, mission, he would protect um, some of importance that would call him a great warrior. And, you know, knowing that's not what Jedi are supposed to be, that really messed with his mentality and his, and kind of threw him way off balance. Ah, man. Because uh, he didn't like that, that thought process that that is what they saw him as, not as a protector. Yeah, I could see how that would mess with him. Yeah. I can also see, though, um, how just most people seeing the Jedi would be like, they're like, we're like, we're protectors. We're not warriors. It's like, with that laser sword? Right. It's like, you, you really want to go that route? It's like, yeah. no, you guys are warriors. It's like, I get that's not necessarily how you want to be perceived, but that's what you are. Yeah, like you... What's with the laser sword? Right. What's with the laser sword? <laughs> so, they would both agree that Jen should seek answers. Needing a world full of life to find a deep connect, uh, communion with the Force, Jen would travel off Coruscant trusting the Force to guide him to answers. This resulted in him coming out of hyperspace above a charted but unnamed world. Oh. Man, galaxies. Huge. Right. <laughs> After leaving his ship and admiring the planet's beauty, Jin quickly felt the presence of the dark side on the world, coming to see that a spreading darkness was starting to corrupt the planet. Unsure whether the Force sought for him to stop it or learn from it, Jin continued finding, continued on. Finding a temple and sitting upon a throne inside. Oof. This is getting real, this is getting real, uh, real Raiders of the Lost Ark here. Right. <laughs> Pondering whether he would find light in the dark monument, Jin would enter a frightening Force vision. 
So in his vision, Jin was surrounded by red humanoid beings who grew out of dark tendrils. Though at least one of these beings uh, would try to attack him as he fought, Jin quickly ignited his lightsaber and cut the, be- the beings down, only for the red coloration to vanish from those who he had killed. No. So Jin... No, no, no. Okay, so Jin saw he had murdered... Ah! Uh, so Jin saw he had murdered Jedi. And the same darkness that he had seen on their bodies began to consume him. By choosing violence, the dark side had gained power over him. As the darkness wrapped across his face, Jin awoke from his vision, horrified only to see the light side had entered into the monument. Whew, man, that was that was a trip. Can you imagine having to go through that trip, though? Dude! I mean, kind of, but uh, yeah, no, 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 that is, oh, yeah, that 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 had to be a like a living nightmare for yeah. a Jedi. Because I'm not gonna lie, didn't even realize at a certain point there that this was he was just it was a vision. I was like, I was like, oh my god, it's happening for real. Nope. Okay, that made me feel a little better, but still, <laughs> that was dark. That was we got dark there. So. He would realize the force had taught him that he could find balance, uh, that he could find balance that could be achieved without conflict, as unchecked violence would make the Jedi turn into what they sought to confront, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, in fact, he had actually found some of the pl- uh, planet's dark corruption had instead formed into flowers existing in harmony with the light. So it definitely oh. helps where he gets his mentality, where he can see everything kind of coincides and stuff can exist in harmony. While not as common with dark side, but it can. Well, because, I mean, it goes back to the whole concept. You can't have light without the dark. Exactly. It all kind of requires each other to balance itself out. Yep. So, after returning to the temple, he again met with Yoda on a temple balcony, leading uh, leading to another discussion about the Force. Speaking with gr- the Grandmaster... Jin defended finding balance in the Force, believing that the Jedi could not be too rigid, yet could also not give in to the dark side. Which is a very fine line to walk, I will say, but he's right. Yeah. And especially because, I mean, walking the line could be easy as long as you're not looking for that power or attempting to use those corrupting abilities. Like, if you're just willing to except that there are some gray areas in the world and in life. Well, because I believe he just more find, like has found, like, yeah, accepting the gray areas, but also just accepting that, like, like good, the force being good or bad, it's just the force. It's just how we perceive and what we use of it. it. It's it's similar to the concept, of, like, with the argument with weapons, like handguns or wep- uh, firearms in the world now, is it's a tool. It's how you use it that defines if it's, good or bad yeah and that's always been the case and i love i'm more reasons i'm loving qui-gon man right and because it also kind of rolls it back into the luke episode with his new temple and his way of thinking as he became a grandmaster of the force can be used even the dark side abilities can be used for the right reasons yeah it's not inherently bad oh yeah entirely and they there's been plenty of jedi and plenty of sith on both sides who have proven both Exactly. So, at this point, we would lead into episode one, which, knowing where all that leads, we're just gonna... We know he dies at the end of it. Yes. Which also 
uh, as we talked, or we're going to talk about in the Kenobi episode, it does kind of lead into certain mindsets for Kenobi that changed because of that final battle. Which we will get into in the Kenobi episode. But, but so after his death, he would manifest his spirits once to Kenobi in a vision on Mortis, and then go on to train both Yoda and Kenobi on how to also manifest their consciousness after death. Still teaching us even when he's gone. <laughs> but I, I do like that even after however 100 years that it had been, Yoda still was able to get taught something. Right? That that was... Uh, like, anybody listening, if you're not going to watch any episodes, at least go watch the, f- the few episodes where... Um, where Qui-Gon leads um, Yoda to learn his power because they are amazing episodes and it, yes, it's beautiful. And it was also kind of cool. So with him manifesting, we first really get, I mean, up until the very last movie, we only get one other time that really shows uh, Qui-Gon manifesting. Grant, he didn't physically do it, but in episode two where Anakin's slaughtering the Tuscans, you could hear Qui-Gon yelling no and to have and yelling Anakin stop. That was kind of his first introduction or I guess reintroduction into the franchise as a ghost. I'm gonna have to re-watch those movies. Yeah. Apparently. Apparently it's been a while. Because I don't oh, ooh, I'm re-watching those this week. <laughs> yeah, you, you you hear him as Anakin's coming out of the tent right after his mother dies. And as he's igniting his saber and starts swinging, you can hear Qui-Gon yelling, Anakin, no, stop. Oh, dang, that is... Wow, that, that hurts me. Emotional damage. <laughs> Emotional damage. <laughs> oh, god dang it. Okay, well, um, that, uh, that kind of ends this week's episode on Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, Joker, uh, you a fan? From growing up, mainly only ever seeing him in episode one, I've always been a fan because he's always, always that very stoic and cool-looking Jedi. But then as I learned more about him, just cemented him being one of my favorites. And I gotta say, same. Because, yeah, I know. Uh, he was... he Episode one, plus I, I love Liam Neeson as an actor. So I was already always a fan. Right. And just like you, yeah. It just... Uh, learning more about him just cemented it. Exactly. For anyone that's still listening, if you got something out of this, enjoyed the episode, or even liked the character before from a movie, comic, cartoon, hell, even that t-shirt that you saw one time, you're a fan too. If you want to jump on this train, why not subscribe and share with a friend? Dick Rail out. Y'all keep riding them rails. <laughs>